I'm excited about today's guest. First of all, thanks for listening. This is Phil Ling. I am the host of The Giving Leader with Phil Ling, our podcast, which we've been blessed. About 20,000 of you have been downloading this stuff and introducing you to leaders of faith across the country. Uh, I'm in Northeast Ohio. I'm in Amish country right today. Um, Millersburg, if you get go Google it, Millersburg, uh, Sugar Creek, Berlin, don't call it Berlin, Berlin, uh, that's where I am. So horse and buggies, I went by a buggy repair shop on the way here. So if you got the buggy, you need it worked on. And with one of my new favorite friends, Pastor Larry, Larry Kaufman, Grace Church. Uh, it, what, if I say Millersburg is the main campus, Millersburg? Berlin. Berlin. Okay, main campus is in Berlin. Three locations, getting ready to roll out the third location, which right away, so Northeast Ohio, Amish country, Mennonite country, uh, rural a lot of farms, and yet you've got this church that is growing and reaching these rural areas, opening the third location, and that's what we're going to talk about for a few minutes. Larry Kaufman is the senior pastor uh, of this campus, not this campus, of the whole church, and the ministry's got facets. So before we get done, we're going to talk about this cool lodge they have. We're going to talk about a ministry they have that helps women trying to get out of abusive situations and gives them a safe place, a safe haven to go and to get their lives back together. And not just in the United States, but in other parts of the world as well. So this is a fascinating, multifaceted ministry. And in a few minutes, we'll introduce you to his wife, Kendra, and her role in that as well. But first, thank you. It's great to be here, Phil. Thanks for letting us come hang out with you. You know, most of the time when I'm doing the podcast, I'm seeing people via Zoom. Yeah. And so now it's neat to be in the same yeah, room with you. For sure. Give me some background. Uh, you've been here a long time. 20 years? Yep, a little over 20 years. 20 years. All right, so I don't want to, to tell your whole story, but you were raised in an Amish house. Um, so my parents were Amish. Uh, left the Amish when they were married. So I was never actually Amish, but a lot of connections in the Amish communities because of, this is where I was raised and uh, you know, grew up in a Mennonite Mennonite Church. Just, and because I've gone down the rabbit hole on this, um, there the Anabaptist, for those theologians out there, is kind of an umbrella, and you can find the splinters of whether it's Mennonites, Amish, these, these different pieces. Beside this campus right here, which is, this is a real touristy place. It is. I mean, it is. this is like the Truman Show meets Destin, Florida, with Mennonites and Amish all thrown in together. I mean, it, that's where it is when you're here. But beside this beautiful campus we're sitting in right now, there is like a museum next door mm -hmm. yeah. for Anabaptists. Yeah, yeah. It, it The museum depicts the Anabaptist history, you know, the development, the, the all of the history and how the Amish are an offshoot of the Anabaptists. A lot of tourists, I think they have about a million or so tourists that view that every year. I mean, uh, they, they have, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a great uh, work of art. That is crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. So, because when I pulled in, you basically share a driveway. Yeah, we do. Mm -hmm. So that that's pretty cool that they yeah. bring you a million people. I don't know how many of them want to venture over this direction, but there's a few. <laughs> All right. So what brought you here to Grace? And what was Grace when you came? What did yeah. church, Give me a snapshot. What did the church look like back then? So, uh, so when I came, uh, Grace, Grace was more of a, a denominational church, like a Mennonite church. And uh, we, we have, over the years, we've transitioned Grace from a very traditional ministry model to, um, you know, um, an outward-facing church. 
you know, uh, always strong on the gospel, a high view of the authority of scripture, Jesus Christ, um, but saying, how can we, how can we make a difference? And um, we, we just started preaching the gospel. So how can we make disciples? And over the years, I mean, God has really expanded our, our fishing pond, our evangelistic targets locally. Um, but we've also had a heart for the nations. We've, we wanted to grow in our Jerusalem, our local Jerusalem, but also being a sending church where we're sending people out and, um, you know, really trying to align with the geographical targets that, G that Jesus gave, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so to, to paint some pictures, because when, when I describe your background, this church, and this place in a very rural part of Northeast Ohio, it doesn't paint the picture. So this is, you've got a massive facility here in the main campus. You've got two others. One's just coming online. Sugar Creek is already online, which is right in the middle of tourist stuff that's going on. But I got to imagine 20 years ago, that's not what Grace looked like. Yeah, no, I mean, we were, when I came, we were about 200, 250 people. Um, and it was, a, you know, I mean, even the, I mean, the church building, the campus was, looked a lot different. But the community, I mean, there's been a lot of tourism, a lot of growth over the years. There's just been a, culturally, there have been some shifts, some changes so the, it, it is a it does feel like it's a different um, a different area, but but also it's still a rural area. We're still remote, right? You know, we got horse and buggies, and um, that's really you know who we are equipped to reach. That's where we've done ministry, and that's that's the heart that God has given me is to you know ministry in rural America. You know, there's so many needs, and there's so much migration to the urban centers and the cities of our world, and that's. That's great. I mean, I, there's tremendous ministry that is happening there, but I think we also, to, to you know, we to, to capitalize on the opportunities in the in the rural communities that are often forgotten or overlooked, and I feel like that's how who God has positioned us to, to reach. So on the way here this morning, as every time I've been up here, um, you know, I pass multiple horses uh, pulling little buggies. The other is the the really cool electric-aided bicycles, e-bikes, e-bikes, yep. these, these things fly. I mean, there, there's this gal went by me, she's got the full dress with flip-flops and she's flying on this bicycle at 30 miles an hour. It, it's crazy. So what's, what's the uniqueness and challenges of ministering to, in this community? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, I would describe this area as a very religious community. You know, people, most people are raised in, with an awareness of the gospel, uh, church, going to church. I've often felt like the people we're trying to reach may already be sitting in a church somewhere, you know, because they've been conditioned to think religiously. But it's easy to miss the gospel, too. There's definitely a sense that this is some of the, these are some of the challenges is toward legalism, you know, boxes you check to have right standing with God but really missing the grace of God. The gospel is not works, is not performance. It's like, I feel like one of the things we've tried to emphasize as a church, when the name of our church is Grace Church and the grace of God, like what is the grace of God to help to really, and it, I think it takes, you know, um, it takes us a full decade to take somebody that's straight out of Amish land they, they, they give their lives to Christ. We baptize them. It takes years to unlearn or to learn 
that who God is, like it, you know, how God is a father that is for you when you put your faith in Jesus and to walk, to walk that out, to live that out. I mean, it, it, it takes, it's a tremendous opportunity, but it, that's what discipleship is here is to help people actually know God for who he really is because of, um, the emphasis on legalism and, you know, there's a, there's, there's every, I think every group, every community has its challenges and there's so many great things about this community. There are also some challenges with it. And so um, I think that emphasis on discipleship and grace has been huge. Is there pushback like uh, from, from those folks or the, um, the, the, some of the, because, you know, yeah. I guess that you could be viewed as you're, you're trying to grab our people. Yeah. I mean, we, we can, there, there hasn't been much though, because I've been here long enough where right. we've, we've really tried to build relationships and we've always been kingdom minded. So I, I say, I've used language like, Hey, we're, we're on the same team. You know, we, we might be, you know, we got the Amish, the Mennonites, you got different groups, but we're all trying to follow Christ and be kingdom minded. And you know what I've, what I've actually found is that Amish folks would do not prefer our style of ministry, mm. you know, a band and you know, like contemporary music, but you know what they can't argue with? Cause we have, when we have baptisms, a lot of the Amish folks, they, they're here helping oh. support their, their kid that's getting baptized Okay, and over the years. I've had many Amish parents tell me, like I've I've seen such a change in my child. He's no longer doing drugs. He's not doing. He's not going to parties. Like his life is changing. And they're like, "Thank you for what you're doing." And I'm like, actually, it's not me. It's Jesus. Right. And so while they come to support their kids in baptism, then they wouldn't prefer our model of ministry. But you know what they can't argue with is that life change. You know, and I've just I've seen that over and over. And it's it's the power of the gospel. You know, it's like not cleaning yourself up, you know, not trying to get your act together before you come to Jesus. But it's like coming to Jesus and saying, okay, I, I'm, I made a mess. I need help. And then Jesus changing people from the inside out. Because I think that's the challenge with legalism. It's kind of like you do these things and, you know, it's like from the outside in. And it's like, if we can just get that, you know, it's Jesus. You get Jesus and then he, he transforms your life from the inside out, you know, over time. And um, that, that's what we've, we've experienced. And so the Amish, like, and I can talk Dutch, like my, because my parents were Amish. And it's like, so like I have connections and we try to value and honor the Amish, the Mennonites, you know, different groups. I mean, our framework is in essentials, we have unity, non-essentials, we have freedom of conscience and all things we show love. And so it's like we work hard at building trust with the Amish and honoring them for, you know, who they are, what they do. So they don't see us as enemies, but as kingdom partners. So I, I've got to imagine that because uh, I a hundred years ago when I started right out of college, my first ministry was not that far from here in Knox County, Ohio, in, in a very, you know, similar rural setting farming institution. And two, three hundred people is a big church. And so Grace Church starts to grow. You expand here, this main location, to this physical plant. Where, do you remember how big this one is? This is like 100,000? This big? is about 90,000. 90,000 square feet. So just for those listening, it's a big physical plant, very modern, and it's growing. At what point then did you say, you know what? I know we're not like in suburbs of Houston with population everywhere, but there are communities around us 
let's do multiple locations. Let's look at Sugar Creek up the road. How that? How where's that come from? Yeah. So I mean, for years, I um, I mean, I want I want to grow our gospel impact. Um, you know, our gospel footprint. Uh, I, the last couple of years, I've been I've really been wrestling with, you know, how how can we, you know, do I want to see a movement of God in North America, like you see in Asia and other places of the world? How can multiplication happen? And um, with our emphasis on trying to influence rural communities, what's the quickest way to influence them? I I've come to the conclusion that it is not to build bigger, bigger buildings here at our main campus, but it's to to multiply to smaller campuses, and even even not just even beyond locations, thinking about other campuses, but also thinking about other expressions, the church in a coffee house or you know a biker group that you know like locations but expressions and just wanting to so we're we are conservative theologically but we're we're really trying to be progressive methodologically like how how we do ministry like reinventing reimagining repurposing the methods the the new wineskins and so we made a decision a number of years ago it's like we're not going to keep building bigger buildings although we're going to we're going to continue to renovate and have nice facilities but we're going to we're going to move to other communities. Was that a hard sell when you when you sat down with your leadership team and, and the first time and said, "Hey, let's do another location." Um, you know, it was a new it was a new thing. I mean, a lot of churches were doing it. We haven't done it. Right. And it was like, um, I think it was it was like the why? Why would we do it? If we're doing it to be trendy, that's the wrong reason. Right. If we're doing it to, but if we're doing it to try to bring gospel value to another community, to make more disciples, to help more people know Jesus. You know, in Sugar Creek, we talk about the nuns and the duns. You know, those that have no religious affiliation or those that have been to church and sort of done with it as our targets. Um, that honestly, I think, was the tipping point. It was like, why? We could nail down our why. It's like, that's, you know, and we, we talk about, you know, because everybody has an eternity spent, you know, we'll, everybody will spend eternity somewhere. And it's like, that's our why. That, that's why we go. That's why. And But also another value of our church is being sent, living like we are sent. And so we, 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 we send people to the nations, but we also, we also in our local Jerusalem want to be sent to the community next door, our neighbor, a neighboring community. And um, I think this is another way we're living out that value of, of a living like we're on mission, you know, locally. Okay, so... A lot of people, a lot of the the thousands of folks that are listening and will download this episode, uh, they're probably part of churches that have multiple locations. But what I've learned is everybody does it different. Mm. There's different versions. Yeah. So are you guys doing live teaching, video venue? What's what are you, what's the piece you're using? Yeah, we we uh, I mean we're we're sort of building it as we're doing it. Right. But we've said you know we think that our DNA, our culture, we're going to have live pastors you know, live communicators on site, um, live worship. Um, it, you know, it's, it's going to feel a little more like a church plant, but with high collaboration okay. among all of our campuses. Okay. Now, I would be remiss because when I tell your story everywhere, I say, let me tell you about Larry and what he's doing. One of the pieces is the first time I met you, you took me by this uh, small inn and when it, like a small motel. Now to set the setting for the listening, and I hope that if you are listening, you'll you'll look at Millersburg or, or Berlin or, or Sugar Creek, and and Google that 
and read about it. This is a very tourist-driven place. So I passed a couple of Amish theaters on the way here, which is kind of an oxymoron. Yeah, but <laughs> but I, you know they're here. So you got all this stuff going around you. So having an inn or a small motel, this will get use. Uh, you purchased it. What was the reason behind it? What's it called? Tell me about it. Yeah. So we, um, you know, this is a part of you know how we're trying to innovate. So we we bought my wife and I have a nonprofit called Thrive Three Hundred and Sixty Network, and the, this nonprofit owns a an inn. It's a seven bedroom inn called Hillside Inn. Check it out on hillsideinn.com. We we bought it primarily to try to generate another income engine to fund ministry. I mean that's the that's the vision for it. We've got a gal that's running it for us. After expenses, one hundred percent of the the uh, profits go to fund. Um, some of our mission projects, our missionaries with 5812 Global. And, you know, it's, it's that idea that we want to continue to uh, reimagine how we fund ministry. We're so dependent on people's uh, donations, which is great. Uh, the Grace Church and other churches and partners have given so much. And, um, <clears throat> like, I believe that, you know, we're, we're calling this an experiment, but, like, I, I want to continue thinking about Generate using business as a way to generate income for kingdom work. Okay, so just re hit that again. If I want to find more information, because I know that you've launched uh, some info about it on Facebook yeah. recently. So yeah. what is it? Just go to hillsideinn.com, and that's where you can make reservations, learn more about you know what we're doing with with Hillside. Very cool. I don't run across that very often, so I, I wanted to make sure we hit that. In a minute, we're going to bring in Kendra, your wife. And we're going to talk about another piece of your ministry, which you call 5812. So let's give a little bit of an umbrella to that before we talk to Ken. Yeah. So a number of years ago, being here for 20 years, you know, you, you, you get into the layers of a culture. And being a pastor, there were, there were times where you get under the waterline with sexual abuse, domestic violence. And for years, we outsourced some of these needs to to shelters and other places, you know, outside of our community. And we felt like about eight years ago or so, we felt like God was saying, why don't you, I want you to start something that's in your community. And so we launched this ministry called 5812 Global. It's from Isaiah 5812. And it's really grown out of my own pain story. You know, I grew up in a broken home, a, a father that was abusive. And, um, you know, when, when I was about 12, my mother came to me one day. We have, there was uh, seven of us children. She's like, you know, we need to go. Where should we go? You know, we had no place to go. And, um, you know, I'm confident that if we would have had a safe house then, like we do now, like we're running now, we would have called that hotline and we would have went there as a family. Um, it's amazing how God uses your pain as a platform for ministry. And all these years later now, you know, pastoring here, you know, we felt like God said, we want you to, you know, I want you to, to do something to help vulnerable women and children in this community. One in, uh, my wife can share more about this, one in four uh, guests that residents that come to the home are Amish. And, um, you know, it's like this is where for us, um, disciple making and biblical justice intersect. Wow. You know, being a voice for those that are, are you know, being beaten and traumatized. We've seen... We've seen so many women that have, have been abused in this community. And um, um, so, we, we, so we've so we been doing this ministry for about eight years where we have a local safe house, but then we have campuses 
in Thailand, in Haiti, vision for Uganda, Mexico, where we're sending grace missionaries to to do uh, to to live and to serve the most vulnerable. And it will look a little different depending on the context and the local needs, but it's all a part of that that heart for the most vulnerable in our world. That first of all, my heart hurts when you use that description because you've told me that story before when you were a little boy and your mom looked and says, where are we going to go? And you think of how strong your mother had to be uh, in that circumstance. And, and that's where, and you just call it safe house, don't you? Yeah. Safe uh, house. Yeah, it's a safe house. Yeah. It's a safe house. So we're going to unpack that with Kendra in just a minute. All right. Well, Larry's better half is with us. Uh, just to remind you, I'm Phil Ling. I'm the host of The Giving Leader. And we're talking with Pastor Larry and his wife, Kendra, up here in Northeast Ohio, and I want to always say Millersburg, but we're at the Berlin campus. A few years ago, God opened up a door for you to create the safe house. And Larry shared just a few minutes ago his experience as a 12-year-old boy and his mom coming to him and you're like, where do we go? We got to get out of here. Where do we go? Mm -hmm. So paint that picture for me the beginning days of what now is the safe house. Yeah. So we felt like God was leading us to launch this ministry to help vulnerable women and children in Holmes County and the Tri-County area. <clears throat> and we, when we launched into it, we said, okay, we, we will do what you're leading us to do. About a year, year and a half in, this incredible, generous family came to us and said, we have a, a piece of property that we'd like to give to you. It was an old bed and breakfast. And it was about a half a million dollar piece of property. They wow. said, we want to donate it to you. We believe in what you're doing, and that became the beginning, um, like of a of the. So we turned that into a safe house. We renovated it, and um, that that's the safe house that we we now operate in Holmes County for vulnerable women and children. And then there, it just took off from there to to Thailand, to Haiti, and just this vision to 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 help the most vulnerable. So help me, Kendra, understand, because. Uh, Larry drove me by, so I've seen it. Mm -hmm, yeah. And and which you don't even you can't really tell everybody where it is or anything because mm -hmm, yeah. that kind of defeats the purpose right. <laughs> <laughs> of being a safe house. Yeah. So, paint the picture of uh, it, it was a, a bed and breakfast. How many folks can you handle at one time? So we can host six moms at one time, three single moms, and then three moms with children. Okay. And um, think of it as a home, like it's big rooms. So the rooms um, can easily house uh, up to four kids with their mom comfortably. And uh, lucky for us, it's tucked away off of the main drag. It's back in a secluded area, super peaceful. You drive onto the property and you feel peace. So we can host up to six women and multiple children at one time. Okay, so let's let's walk through this. So somebody's going through a crisis. Somehow yes. they get your number. Yes. And they give you a call. Take me from there. What, yeah. what do you do? So they contact us and we uh, initiate a meeting and we do an intake interview with them. We want to hear their story. We want to share our story. And at the end of that time together, we discern with them if this would be a good fit for them. And if it is a good fit, we invite them to move in. Sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes it's from the police station or the hospital. Sometimes someone says, I need a little bit of time to think about it. So it's different with each case. And we invite them in and we allow them to stay for up to 12 months free wow. of charge. And they um, move in with their kids. We have everything fully furnished so they don't need to worry about bedding and towels and like where are the beds going to be and all of that kind of stuff. 
And um, because many of them, sorry, many of them sometimes they come with nothing. Well, I can imagine. Most you said of police them station come, or hospital. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Most of them come with the clothes on their back and wow. maybe a backpack. Um, oftentimes they've left their cell phone there, like on purpose. Um, for tracking and all of those kind of things. So it's, they're very, they very much come most of the time with hardly anything at all. So our goal is to make those first couple days and weeks as most comfortable and safe as possible for them. So offering clothing, you know, rest, helping with the kids. Um, the unique thing about being in our community is a lot of times the kids can stay in their own school districts. Mm. So if it is, if the child is not in, you know, any danger, we continue to work with the, the school districts that the kids are in, um, as well as support teams or support persons that have been in their life. So prior Larry and I were in instances where we had to take the women out of our community and, you know, transport them to a different community. Right. So their support system didn't go with them. The kids were out of, uprooted out of school and everything. So that is super amazing that it is in our community and we can still offer those kind of things. Had we ever told you about when we started this, we went to the local, because one of our things, we were going to be fully compliant, right. fully reporting. We went to the local... Um, child and family services leaders, the leader, the director, remember this like it was yesterday. And I was like, hey, we, we want to start this ministry. We want to work alongside of you. We want to support. We want to be valuable to our community. That was, that was one of the most discouraging conversations I've ever had. Wow. Because he said, he said two things. He said, one is, I don't like pastors. Hmm. And two, because they, 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 they don't they, trust they, pastors. Yeah, I, they cover up. Hmm. They don't report. They don't, and they try to handle things, you know, behind closed doors. And number two, he said, I don't trust churches. Hmm. And he was like, and he said, he's like, don't, don't, don't do this. Like you're not <laughs> equipped. It was like, I was like positive affirmation. Yeah. So we, you know, eight years later, you know what the awesome thing is Kendra and her staff, they're actually referring people now wow. to our safe house. She has built up the, the rapport, the trust. I mean, they're, they're looking to the church, right? To a church for support and assistance that's so amazing, you know, and it's like it reminded me that we have we have a lot of work to do to rebuild our credibility as local churches. So we've said with the safe house and everything we do there is like we report. We don't look the other way. We don't hide. Like we call the police. There are times it's like we just go, we call the cops. Right. You know, and it's been incredible to see the the to see that flip. Where they see us as allies now, now not as like um, liabilities. Now I can imagine because it's it's a moment of crisis. That's the reason they're called. Mm -hmm. So I, I can imagine that it is it it is um, enticing the idea of oh there's a safe place I can go to. Mm -hmm. I can get out of this. I can there's a safe place. But you and I both know that if behavior doesn't change and it is starts somehow again. I have yeah. a friend that always talks about the problem with people is you have to reparent them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so <laughs> when they show up at the safe house, if they're going to stay for an extended period of time, yeah. what counseling, what do you guys do? Yeah. Um, to, to piggyback on what you just said, the national average is a woman will leave a domestic violence situation seven times before she doesn't go back. Wow. So when you look at that statistic, you think of all of the people that come in and what can we do to help change those patterns. And so we offer counseling. We partner with a local agency here. Um, we do one-on-one -on -one meetings. We offer mentoring. 
you know, we believe that the true healer is Christ. So we offer that, but we don't shove it down anybody's throat, you know. Um, so we try to give them as many handles as we can. So it might be parenting classes, it might be budgeting, it might be getting your GED, learning how to drive, you know, just getting a bank account. Some of them don't have a bank account. Some of them don't have any paperwork whatsoever. They don't know where their birth certificate is, don't know where their social security card is, any of that. So it's just coming behind and with them and empowering them that, you know, they can make a difference in their lives and their children's lives. And we're here to support them in that. So every individual comes at a different place and a, and a different spot in their life. And so our program is to meet them where they're at. So some some women come with jobs, they're, they're good to go. They just need a little bit of protection. They just need a little bit of safety and they're there for a short time. And they're like, you know, we got this, thank right. you. And others are so down and so have been so <coughs> tied and so controlled that they don't even know where to start. So it's like, let's just start basic. Keep your okay. Kids in school. I think a lot of people listening are going to be just as fascinated as I am. <laughs> that that because of the uniqueness, because we talked with Larry earlier about the Grace Church in this area and Anabaptist yes. and you know Amish and everything, yes. the museum next door. I yes, mean, it's a unique right. spot. It is very unique. So he shared that one out of four yes. that come to your house mm -hmm. are going to come out of Amish. Yes. That's got to be unique in itself because it's yeah. almost, you're talking about they have nothing as yeah. far as background and yeah. you're breaking away not just from an abusive relationship. Yeah. But this, this community that yes. may be hard to extricate yes, from. very much so. So two things with that. One is um, a lot of our staff and volunteers can speak Dutch. Mm. So there's that language. You know, I mean, most Amish that come, they speak English and their kids speak English. Right. But to be able to speak their mother tongue and relate to them is amazing. And to work with anybody in their church district, if you can speak Dutch, it's amazing. It gives you a gateway. I am not originally from here. I do not speak Dutch. So but I you're tried Canadian. To, I am Canadian, but that does not count that's here. I don't count. Oh, okay. All right. I have Ojibwe words, but that doesn't help. Um, so we've I've purposely surround myself with somebody who can talk Dutch when I go into those situations. But one unique thing is, is that primarily the Amish bishops are willing to work with us hmm. in situations. So I think that blows my mind away. And part of that is, you know, having leaders in the church who we have tried to come alongside the Amish. So it's not like because you're Amish, we want to make you different. That's not it. Yeah. So some an Amish lady who comes to the house, it has nothing to do with you can't be Amish anymore. So we will support them going to their Amish church, staying the same. Obviously, our house has electricity, some of the convenience of an English <laughs> lifestyle. But we still will recommend and fully support them going back to an Amish setting if it's safe. Right. So one of the things that I found is these Amish women who who make the step to leave, it is mind-blowing to me the how how hard that is for mm. them. It's it's harder than any other woman that I've ever worked with stepping away and saying I'm going to make a different decision and I'm going to speak up, not keep silent that this is wrong. And um it, but it but it is amazing to me how a lot of them do come with support, you know, and and a family member or a friend who knew this was going on and have wanted them to do something but didn't know where to go. And just having that part of the faith-based, you know, in this community, it, it does draw some of them. So we've had multiple women go back into the same situation 
but we've also had women who have decided not to. They've stayed Amish. We've helped them move to a different community, a different district. We've, you know, given them a safety plan, you know, a support team that is Amish that continues to, to walk with them. And in fact, our very first resident was Amish. She's still Amish to this day, and we still stay in touch with her. It's been about six years, um, and it's been a journey for her. But she is on her own with her children, and she remained Amish. And she goes to Amish church. She has Amish support system. I think that's phenomenal because when you take them out of our community, you know what the world wants to do is make them not Amish and doesn't respect that Amish culture, their background, everything. And how fearful is that, you know, to be put into something that you've never experienced and no understanding. And it's no fault to hear because, you know, the outside community doesn't understand. But it's like when you're in here, you're like, oh, how brave these some of these women that come. So brave, so brave Um, to step out. And, you know, we had a mom who came with nine children. Wow. An Amish lady who came with nine children. And we've helped uh, three others that had multiple, had like six, eight, ten children. They stayed temporary stays because they were moving out of state uh, to be with family. But... um, Kendra, tell us how many, so give us some stats. Yeah. So um, in the last eight years, we've housed uh, 67 women and 90 children. So 90 children came with those 67 women. Wow. So I have a friend in Texas who has a similar home, and she's blown away about the amount of kids that we have. Sometimes the women they take in are one child or none. Right. And ours is average four children or more. Um, So... Yeah, and yeah, you said tell that me, Tell me about, because I know Larry's mentioned um, 5812 and two other locations yes. already, Haiti yeah. and what's Thailand. 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 Yeah. And I know you just got back from Mexico, scoping that out a little bit. Yep. Is it, I, I got to imagine it's different in many, many ways, even though you're trying to solve a similar problem. Mm-hmm. What's it look like there? Yeah, so I mean, we, so, you know, trial, you get all over the world, the common denominator, what's universal is pain. Hmm. pain and like so in Thailand <clears> the <throat> one of the greatest needs and we all these children that need homes um, we talk about the most vulnerable in Holmes County it's vulnerable women and children but in, if we look at the world it's like how can we bring the gospel to you know bring hope and healing to the most vulnerable so Thailand would you say is kids yeah so one of the neat things too that we did there is like we didn't just come in there and say this is what we were going to do we came in there as 5812, but what does this community live, you know, need? Yeah. And so we came in, partnered with other ministries, learned the language. And one of the things that came out of that was zero to five. There's no homes for zero to five. Hmm. There's zero, Once they start school, lots of homes. But right. zero to five is... And so we felt like that was God's direction. That's a niche yeah. for us. So we became legal there. We have uh, two children. Yeah, we have foundation. We have two children there right now. Um, and that's going to be short-term foster care. So they won't live there for 18 years, but, um, it's working with the community and finding other placements for them. And, um, and Haiti, our team that is there, uh, we have five young women who are the ages of 18 to 22. They have no place to go. Wow. So they're living on our campus there and, and that is you know, how can we help you get a job? You know, let's learn English. Let's, right. you know, skills, life like skills. life skills that something in their, you know, in, in Haiti where they are, it's poverty. So it's like, what can we teach them to help them be able to never have to go back into an, in a situation where they're dependent on somebody else? Okay. So tell me, 
just like we highlighted the end and how to learn more about it, yeah. where, where can we go for 5812 to get more information? So 5812global.org okay. is our website. Um, lots of information on there. We're also on Instagram and we're also on Facebook at 5812global. So, um, yeah, you can check us out on that. Very cool. Kendra and Larry Kaufman here in Northeast Ohio. Thanks for listening. It's The Giving Leader with Phil Ling.